as we uh, read this, keep in mind the topic of the talk today. Truth and love, finding the point of balance. What do you do when you... What do you do when... um, You're standing for the truth and yet you want to act in love. Let's read let's read two John page one thousand and thirty one. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Amen. Let's uh, sing together the hymn that's on the paper that you have. What God is this? What God is this that gives his love so freely, that came to earth and left a heavenly home?
That was great. Today, we're looking at one of the shortest epistles in the New Testament, 2 John. In spite of that, it gives us a focus for life and addresses some real challenges that I believe are as relevant today as they were in the first century at the start of the church. We often face a balancing act in the decisions that face us. The choice is often between two good things. Not only that, the choices are to be made before a watching world that's quick to point the finger at us. How do we balance truth and love in our response to issues? Does one take priority? Is one really more important than the other. We live in a world where prominence, achievement, intellectual or business acumen, 
accomplishments or success in many and varied fields are competing forces with who we are as God's people. There's often fierce competition and the cost to get there and stay there in the spotlight is very high. I read of one such example just this week. was sitting with some friends and, and an article was there. Uh, somebody was interviewing Colette Dinigan, one of the Australian top fashion designers. And she was asked what her idea of luxury was, to which she responded, my idea of luxury would be to have no responsibility for a week and do all the simple things in life as a child I would never have dreamed would have been viewed as luxury. Reading a book from cover to cover, meeting my girlfriends for morning coffee, long leisurely weekend lunches with friends and family, an afternoon siesta. I love cooking, but a chef at home would be my idea of luxury. Time has become very precious. We too need to be alert because the quest for recognition and success, even in Christian ministry activities, can become very costly. We see from Colette's life that she might have achieved the top, but she's really short on things that really count in life. And I wonder... Where does time for God fit in? We too need to be alert to our loss of margin and any change in focus of our lives as God's people. The pressure to succeed may well compete with our desire to live in a truthful, faithful and God-honouring way. And sadly, we're not immune from the pressures that others face. One of the keys to to answer this tug of war with our relationship with God is, I believe, expressed by I. Howard Marshall in his commentary on John's epistles. He says, The elder's point is that anyone who fails to have a proper understanding of Jesus Christ cannot have a true relationship with God. That means it's vitally important for the health of our lives that we focus on knowing and understanding Jesus and what he values and making it our goal to live our lives according to these values. And with that focus, because as we do, our love for God and our knowledge of his love for us will then become more and more real. In a scene from the film Courageous, have any of you seen Courageous? recent Christian film that's out, great film, worth looking at. In a scene from the film, Yavia, a lowly Christian, is working in a very basic role when he's offered a more responsible position with more pay. But when he goes for the interview, it's made clear that he'll be expected to record new inventory in a dishonest way to favour the firm. He hesitates and is faced with overt psychological pressure to be part of the team. He's allowed to go home to consider if he wants the job. There is natural pressure from his wife because they're desperate. As he returns to the firm, he's wondering what to say. Finally, he decides to honour God, decline the offer of promotion and have no part 
in dishonest practices. It was a real, it was a very real challenge. But to his surprise, his refusal to participate in dishonest practices is exactly what those who were interviewing him were looking for. Because everyone else offered the position was prepared to do anything to get it. This epistle or letter has been written to give instruction about itinerant teachers with a teaching ministry among churches who were teaching doctrines the author felt were not in harmony with the Christian faith he believed and taught. They were presenting a so-called advanced Christian teaching that denied that Jesus was the Christ and Son of God. So there was a need to write this letter to counteract it lest more people be led astray and to challenge the church to act differently to curtail the influence of such men. This letter, along with 3 John, which was written to Gaius, are unlike other epistles in that they're both written in the style of a personal letter and are about the length of what could be written on a single piece of parchment. Of papyrus. We read that John the Elder is writing to a dear or elect or a chosen lady and her children. And the letter concludes, the children of your dear elect or chosen sister send you their greetings. On face value, it might appear that he's writing to a single lady and her family who he knows. Perhaps someone who's caught up being hospitable to these false teachers. Some commentators, on the other hand, suggest it's just as likely that He's using the terminology, the lady, as a way of personifying a community of believers. In fact, it may well be the same group of Christians to whom 1 John was written to address an issue that hadn't yet been resolved. We're told the epistle was written by John the Elder. There's some debate about which John wrote the epistle. The reference to elder could be an affectionate term simply meaning the old fellow. But it was clearly someone who was well known and his authority so well recognised that he needed no more instruction, no more in- introduction. And so it's particularly relevant uh, to the Apostle John, who was one of the last surviving apostles who'd seen Jesus, because he'd travelled widely and would likely be known and highly respected. So that's who I'm assuming it most likely is. But the authorship of the letter is not the key issue. Rather, it's the message that he's writing to the church. It is one that we need to address today. And the earlier quote, that anyone who fails to have a proper understanding of Jesus Christ cannot have a true relationship with God, brings out the underlying purpose to the fore. John expresses love for the woman or for the community and assures them that those who know the truth also love them. He then characterises the truth as something that's eternal, something that's in us and remains with us forever. Did you know how special truth is? How important truth is? Truth is mentioned here many times. It's not my opinion or your opinion or anyone else's opinion, but it's an eternal foundational concept 
that we can adopt and live with as an integral part of our lives, as Christians have for two millennia. So what is this truth that John is so passionate about and challenges believers to be on their guard about? He's probably recently come across some believers and writes to share their joy, to encourage them and warn them of the heresy that's contrary to the truth. He says, It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Apparently, these false teachers were telling Christian congregations a message like, We're going to take you beyond what you've heard before. We're going to bring in a new paradigm. We're going to take your knowledge and belief to a new level. We're going to leave behind the old ways and we're going to show you something really deep, profound, something better, something more fulfilling, something more compelling to the world. And John is saying, when you go beyond the truth of Jesus Christ, you not only lose Christ, but you lose God too. There are those today too, who seem to have little focus on the centrality of the cross in the life and practice of the Christian faith. They want God. They want spiritual blessing. But they want to find other than Jesus to have it. These people were doing the same thing. They left Jesus behind. And John is saying, when you leave Jesus behind, you leave behind the possibility of a relationship with God. John 14.6 tells us, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is key. He clearly says that he, Jesus, is the only way to God. So we need to value what he tells us and the example he gives us. Love and obedience to God were tightly linked in his own life. And that's in the first reading that we read. Um, where if you love me, you will obey what I command. Christ lived out his message and fulfilled his Father's will so mankind would have hope. John fifteen thirteen tells us, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Our eternal security is dependent on believing Christ and the authority of the word. The word of God is important to understand and obey, and man's opinions of it do not have and must not be given the same authority. The Bible tells us that we cannot find God through our own logic, skill, intelligence, deductive reasoning, or whatever skill we might apply. Rather, faith in God is a gift from him, and he opens the door to those who approach him earnestly, looking to him to reveal himself to them. John writes in verse 5, Now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Love and living out the truth 
are linked. Christians are commanded to demonstrate their love for God by obeying his teaching. So love and truth are indeed closely linked. Now evangelism and pastoral ministry in New Testament times relied largely on Christians who were prepared to travel around the countryside preaching and teaching the gospel. They in turn depended on the generosity of church members for their hospitality and for their upkeep. So hospitable Christians were taking them in, caring for them and providing for them because nothing else was really suitable. So when John addresses hospitality to Christian evangelists who were claiming they had a message with additional teaching, it was a touchy topic. How would it be seen? Certainly when travelling even- traveling evangelists appeared and needed accommodation and it was refused, it wouldn't be seen as particularly Christian. But this wasn't his focus. His focus was to discourage to make it harder for any evangelists who were preaching a message that denied aspects of the truth of the gospel because they were using persuasive words to lead some who listened to them and welcomed their new teaching astray. In other words, damage control to the attack on the church by these wolves in sheep clothing is the primary strategy of John's teaching here. The importance of a message proclaiming truth is paramount. Messengers who communicate messages that lead to the destruction of people should be impeded and certainly not helped by well-meaning people. John showed how strongly he felt about the danger of these people that he referred to the new style or the alternate message uh, teachers as deceivers, as dangerous people who are leading astray vulnerable people. He says many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and antichrist. Now let's remember at this time there was not a New Testament. Individual people didn't have their own copies of scriptures so they couldn't go home and delve into scriptures and check on the veracity of what they'd been taught as I hope you do as we can today and as we need to teach new Christians to do so they can compare a new message from wherever they hear it with scripture and assess its truthfulness those being targeted were not Um, those that John is targeting here were not evangelists teaching a Christ-centred gospel, but skillful, persuasive men whose message was propagated in the name of Christianity, but it contained fundamental errors that undermined the truth of the life and teaching of Christ. They were not obviously secular or worldly people, but dangerous look-alike Christians people masquerading as church evangelists whose message and teaching was designed to change the focus of those who heard it away from the centrality of the gospel and its application to life. Really, they are opposed to Christ, hence he called them Antichrist. 
those actively teaching in opposition to Christ. His warning to them is to take action. Verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. This exhortation likely refers to what John has been working with the church to achieve. The building up of the church in that place and he was concerned that without care such teaching would divide and disintegrate the Christian community resulting in the loss of many of them. John's very clear. He openly states, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Truth and love are key elements of our Christian walk. Those with true love live according to the truth of Scripture in obedience to Christ. It results in those people growing in their knowledge of the love of God and his empowerment for life and ministry. In addition, it results in the desire to communicate this with others, to take opportunities as the Lord presents it. John's not saying, don't love these people. Rather, he's saying that by assisting them with hospitality, those of you who are doing it are also giving credibility to them. You're giving them a foothold and an ability to stay and preach their deceptive doctrines, which were contrary to truth. So to provide credibility to such a person is to really have a share in what they're doing and share the consequences of those actions. By offering hospitality, which is in itself a good thing, such generous church members were unwittingly sharing in the wicked work, undermining the gospel and leading some astray, and perhaps being slowly led astray themselves. The eternal security of all believers is much more important than the passing comfort of teachers who are undermining the body of Christ with erroneous teaching. Hence John's teaching, do not invite them into your house or encourage them in any way. All genuine and faithful Christians have understood the Great Commission, that it's our duty to be a part of taking the gospel, the news of salvation and the freedom it brings and the eternal life that awaits all who believe in Christ right to the ends of the earth and assuring ensuring that it's preached or communicated to everyone so that they can understand it and build their lives on it. As we think of those who I think you know, Robert, Rob and Jeanette Duncanson, who are working in, in uh, Darwin, Dennis and Glenis Tranter, Cliff and Sue Letcher, are all working in remote parts of Australia. And most other missionaries who work around the world who've turned their backs on a successful career to invest their lives in making a difference not only to people but to communities, states or provinces and nations too. The gospel really can make a difference and it does when it's applied. This was the message of Dr Derek Secure, the Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands, who said, there is no better way to build the character of our nation than to base it on biblical values. He affirmed the key value of God's word during the celebrations to dedicate 
the newly translated Solomon Islands Pigeon Bible uh, back in 2008 during the celebrations that the country was having to mark its 30th anniversary of independence. Apart from the knowledge of the gospel message, no one can know the eternal transforming truth. It is faith in Christ that imbues God's people with hope and purpose around the world. No matter what they face, it's the gospel that enables them to grow in their knowledge of Christ, of God's purpose for them, of his power to work in them in a transformational way, to work in them so they stand out as lights in darkness to those around about them watching on. This is a challenge for each one of us to remember that we need to keep growing in our faith in God, to keep growing and trusting him so that we see his power at work. We need to rely on him to enable us to live as lights, as lights that show forth his message, his offer of salvation, and that it's important for people to decide on. Without accepting Christ, As both Lord and Saviour, everyone is eternally lost. Knowing this and being influenced by Christ's love, we have a task to ensure that everyone everywhere has the opportunity to know him. And this is why it's so important an accurate understanding of Christ and the gospel is communicated clearly and effectively throughout the world, even today. And this is why John told them that hospitality even though it was a God-honouring gift, was not even to be considered for those teaching diluted or under... Uh, those who uh, taught, who diluted or undermined the gospel of Christ because it led those who followed them to eternal death. John then closes. He says, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. In fact, he uses the word... He wants to talk with them uh, directly, mouth to mouth. We, we say um, meet with somebody face to face and, and the words chosen here, well, I want to talk with them mouth to mouth. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. A visit from a friend is generally very welcome and a friend's encouragement can be a powerful motivator. And so John wanted to visit them and spend more time with the friends he loved to help them better focus their lives and their energy on learning about Christ and getting to know him better so they could stand strong no matter what the challenges they might face. Faith in God is key. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. So let us as Christ's people live with a focused intent on growing into a greater knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. A greater knowledge and understanding of his message and the power he has available and expectantly anticipate that as we do so, we will also draw closer to God and delight in the journey that he has for each one of us. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, your Son, is the church's one foundation. And as our foundation and chief cornerstone, 
we rest and trust in him alone for our salvation and freedom from condemnation. Help us to have you as our focus in increasing measure. Help us to be sensitive to your prompting in our lives and your might and your power that you make available to us through faith to fulfil your purpose through us in whatever form that may be. We ask in the name of the one who gave his life to restore our relationship with you, Jesus Christ. Amen.